Well, good morning. We want to pray this morning for all of our campuses on communion weekend, normally on communion weekend. Sometimes we switch it a little bit. The campuses preach live, and so we'll be praying for uh, pastors as uh, they uh, preach live at the campuses. And one thing uh, regarding uh, our church here as a whole, there are uh, two, uh, an announcement I need to make. Uh, two individuals this past uh, week uh, passed away, and uh, we wanted you to know about that. Chris Norton uh, became a member at our uh, church, the last uh, membership opportunity that we had. And uh, Chris uh, had had a stroke earlier on in his life and had some challenges, and uh, Chris went to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago. His service is going to be at 11 o'clock on Saturday for those of you who know uh, Chris and the family, and uh, we encourage you to be a part of that. 11 o'clock this coming Saturday right here, and there'll be a luncheon afterwards. And then a longtime member uh, of our church, uh, Vicki Yennert, passed away on uh, Friday. Uh, Vicki uh, had uh, a battle uh, over these last uh, two or three years, and uh, she went to be with the Lord on Friday morning. Pray for Carl and Vicki and their family. The inner started coming to our church back in 1979, uh, and they've been here a long time, and, and their kids have grown up here, and they're just, uh, uh, just uh, had so much impact on so many uh, people here at the Bible Chapel. Uh, the viewing will be, this t- visitation will be at Beinhauer uh, on um, Friday from 2 to 8, Friday 2 to 8 at Beinhauer, and then we'll have a visitation here at 1 o'clock at the Bible Chapel at 1 o'clock, and then the service will be at 2 o'clock. And so, uh, again, I know, and there'll be a meal after that as well. I know many of you will want to uh, be there and support uh, the inner. So let's pray for uh, our campuses, let's pray for these families, and let's pray for ourselves as we open God's Word. Father, we thank you that you love us and you care for us. And Lord, we thank you that as believers, those who know uh, Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, that when we close our eyes in death, we wake up in your presence. Your Word promises that when we are absent from the body, we are present with you. And Lord, that's not something we just say to make ourselves feel better. We know that as a truth of your word. But we know that as a certain promise that you give us. And we know that because of the work of Jesus. So Lord, we pray for these families, the Norton family and the Yennert family, and ask your blessing on them. We pray for our campuses today. We pray, Lord, for Tom and uh, Zeb for Dave, for Nathaniel, as they open your word. We pray for those in DeBerry as well, Lord, as they go through some some transitions and challenges there and pray that you would be with them and that you would just give them everything they need during this time. And Lord, be with us as we open your word today and speak to us as only you can do. We have nothing to say unless it comes from your word. And, uh, and we pray, Lord, that you're the one who opens our hearts to hear from you today. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So we're involved in this series of sermons we've titled, Unselfie, We, Not Me. And during this series, our aim has been to address the, the, the self-absorption that all of us can be victims of this side of Genesis chapter 3. We've said a selfie is an 
an image of oneself taken by oneself. And we all have that image as we think about ourselves and our needs and our desires and our wants. We all have that selfie image of ourselves taken by ourselves. And what we want to do during this series is kind of tap into our heart and, and hit, that, hit that icon of our heart that turns the camera angle forward to focus on others instead of focusing on us. Said another way, we want to get over ourselves in order to live beyond ourselves. We have uh, illustrated this uh, very simply by uh, a horizontal and the vertical relationship we have. And the vertical relationship we have always starts with God. We're going to talk about that again today in a marriage relationship. It always starts with God. Our we is always with God, and we want this relationship to grow deeper. There was an early uh, church influencer, an early church uh, leader named Augustine. He lived in the 400s, and uh, Augustine, during his teenage years, was promiscuous. Uh, he, he, he pursued worldly lust, primarily sexual immorality. His mother was praying for him uh, the whole time. And finally, he came to Christ. God brought him to himself. But listen to what he says. He said, my sin was this, that I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in God, but in myself and in his other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. It always does that, doesn't it? When we look to ourselves instead of God, life leads to confusion and pain and error. Augustine is famously said, thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. God is the only one who can provide this longing in our heart. When we talk about marriage today, your spouse cannot provide what only God can provide. And you will be perennially disappointed if you are seeking to find in another person what you can only find in God. So our relationship has to start here with God. Then we move to others. And our relationship with others, we've said we want this to be not deeper, that's God, richer. We want it to be richer. We want people in our lives who will speak the truth to us, who will tell us sometimes things that we don't want to hear, who will be honest with us because that's what friends do, right? We don't just tell each other what we think each other wants to hear. We speak the truth, and we're looking for richer relationships. So in this series, we started with the person of God. That's the we. We're made in the image of God. We desire God. We desire a relationship with him. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. And then when we have that relationship, it flows into a healthy vertical relationship. So let me just say, you're not going to have healthy vertical relationships until you have a relationship, meaning, and satisfaction with the living God. Are the lights going on and off or is that just me? Okay, so last night in the middle of our service, we lost all power. So that was a crazy, that was a crazy time. So maybe it's going to happen again. We don't know if it does. We'll just work through it. But uh, I just wanted to make sure something wasn't happening to me up here with those lights. <laughs> all right, so if we could just, so life is complex, right? In this relationship thing, it gets complex. But to simplify it, if we could put it in this chart. 
Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that's where man has his perfect relationship with God. That's what, that, in Genesis 1 and 2, we kind of see what heaven's going to be like. This paradise on earth will one day be paradise regained in heaven. But then in Genesis 3, there's the fall, and we're separated from God. Nothing we can do to bridge that separation. There's this gap between us and God. But God loves us so much that he will not let us live in that gap. He sends a way for the, for, for the, for the gap to be bridged, and he does that through Jesus. And it's only through Jesus that we can have this relationship with God. And then we've seen that our life kind of looks like this until we go see God face to face, just like Vicki and Chris did this past week. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So our time over the next few weeks is going to be right in here. This is where it gets complex. This is where the ups and downs of life happen. This is where the challenges happen. This, this is where the issues in our life happens and happens deeply and, and personally and sometimes painfully in that relationship we call husband and wife. The basic unit of community, the family. The basic unit of community. And if Christianity doesn't work there, what? It doesn't work. So over the next few times, let's talk about today marriage and next two times we're going to talk about parenting and family and, and how all this works out. Now we know that men and women are different, right? We are wired differently. We think differently. And certainly, we communicate differently. And so this relationship gets pretty complex at times. In fact, just check this out to illustrate what I'm saying here. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep? Okay, we do communicate a little differently, right? 
We want to look at two passages today regarding the marriage relationship. First, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, then we're going to go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Every verse about relationship speaks to the marriage first, always first. And there are a couple passages, like the ones we're going to look at today, that speak very directly to the marriage. If you're not married here today, don't check out, because if you are in the 95 percent of those in the United States, 95% will be married by the time they are 55 years old, 95%. So here's some things you need to know. Some of you may be by yourselves today. Your husband or your wife are not here, and just hang on with us because there are some things that's for you in our message today. And some of you may be going through a difficult time of divorce, and we want to pray for you, separation, divorce, we want to pray for you, and uh, we want to we help you. But again, as you think about what God's word says, maybe there are some things that can restore your marriage or you're probably going to get married again in time. And you want to do this thing right. And there's only one way to do it right. And that's by doing it by God's word. So take your Bibles and turn first to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Moses is writing this, and Moses probably wrote this later on as the children of Israel are in wandering in the desert. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He is getting direction from God, inspiration by God regarding the creation and all these things. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it's as if a lot of commentators think that there should be a parenthesis around these Uh, verses, this verse, that Moses is kind of stopping. He's going through the the, the creative narrative, and then he kind of stops and says, time out. This is why we do marriage. This is why we do what we do. And then he explains four components of a healthy marriage. He says, therefore, because God made man and the woman and he put them together, therefore, A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let's think about that as we think about the essential elements of a successful or or, or better biblical marriage. The first thing we see in this passage, if you're going to do marriage God's way, there has to be a leaving of father and mother, a complete loyalty to spouse. That Hebrew word leave is a very strong word. It literally means to abandon, forsake, to leave behind, to discard. Marriage means that we are to leave the primary relationship in our life to that point representing the most connected relationship that we have. Our parents brought us into the world. They raised us. They protected us. They provided for us. They sacrificed us. They changed our dirty diapers. They sat with us while we were sick. They even took us to Disney World. They cared for us. And when we leave our mother and our father... We are leaving that primary relationship in our life. And there's this thing in Scripture called greater to to less. Greater to less. If we're to leave the primary relationship of mother and father, right? 
then we're to leave all other relationships as well. Relationships of friends, relationships of hobbies, relationships that get in the way, old girlfriends and boyfriends, believe it or not. That's a question I get sometimes. Yeah, you to leave those things behind. Now, certainly the word leave does not mean that we are to write our parents off. We are always going to have a special bond to them. In fact, Scripture says later on, you may have to take care of them. You don't forsake them. You honor them. But one way you honor them is to do what God has you to do, and that is in your new relationship as husband and wife, you transfer your emotional loyalties to your spouse, and you leave the emotional loyalties to your parents. Uh, one writer in a book called Intimate Allies, a great book, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to do it. Leaving means starting a whole new relationship in which your core loyalty is not to parents' priorities, traditions, or influence, but to an entirely new family that must set its own course, form, and purpose. I believe this is one of the reasons why so many marriages have trouble, and I believe within marriages, so much energy and emotion is spent because a wife or a husband cannot leave their mom and their dad. And so even in the marriage, can't even focus on your marriage because you're focusing on something that's going on with your parents or your family. You've got to focus on your husband and wife first. It's kind of cute when a two- or three-year-old is clinging to their mommy and daddy, right? But it's not so cute when a 20- and 30- and 40- and 50-year-old are still clinging to their mom and dad. So here's some questions you can ask uh, while you're dating or while you're married. Here's some questions. Are there unhealthy emotional ties to your parents, siblings, and or friends? Only you can answer that question. Here's one way you can tell if that's the case. Do arguments occur with regularity over issues dealing with your parents, siblings, and or friends? Do you discuss your marriage issues with parents, siblings, or friends? Do not do that. Never discuss marriage issues with your parents and be really careful who you discuss marriage issues with with your friends. That is unfair to your spouse. You are breaking an emotional tie. Your parents are always going to be on your side. They know you shouldn't have married the bum in the first place. <laughs> and you're always going to get not objective, but subjective feedback. And i got to tell you, most friends, and I think this is sad in the Christian community, but most friends will tell you what you want to hear. You set your sight out. Here's my deal. Here's what my husband did. Here's what my wife did. Oh, yeah, boy, I'd have trouble with that too. And here's the other issue. You have an issue with your husband. You have an issue with your wife, and you go tell your friend about it, and you paint her or him as like the devil incarnate, right? And they say, oh, my goodness, you married her, you married him, and then you go home, and what do you do? You kiss and make up, but that friend still has a snapshot of your wife or your husband. Deal with your issues on your own. 
get a counselor in, but you don't deal with issues with parents, and you don't deal with issues with your friends. And there are many marriages that are having bad times because they will not follow the simple, clear, straightforward instruction of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. If you're not going to do it God's way, there are going to be issues. Number two, leave father and mother and be united to or hold fast to his wife. I love this word united to. If you've been at weddings I do, I, I, I put this in every wedding ceremony. To be united to means to cling to, to hold fast. That word is used two other times in Scripture. One time it's used for the skin clinging to the bones. That's a pretty cool picture, right? Of holding fast, of clinging to. The skin clinging to the bones. Another time it's used uh, in 1 Samuel of a guy named Eleazar. And Eleazar had fought so long and fought so hard that his sword was frozen his hand was frozen to his sword. He could not let the sword go. Frozen. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 10. Couldn't let it go. And so it is in a marriage relationship. You can't let go. Permanence. There's commitment to sticking to the marriage. Stability. There's commitment to the long haul. You've got to think of marriage as a room with no doors and no windows. You can't get out. Because if you believe there's a door there to get out, if you believe there's a window to crawl out, sometimes it'll get to the point of emotion that you'll want to take the exit. But when you stand up voluntarily, we live in a country where there are not prearranged marriages, right? So voluntarily, you went through this process, and you walked down this aisle, or an aisle like it, and you said, for better or worse, before God, for better or worse, what, what was the other? For richer or poor, in sickness and in health, till what was it? Till death us do part. That's a pretty significant statement, isn't it? And so you got to decide, I am going to keep that or not. Well, yeah, but you don't understand. A lot of things happen since I walked down the aisle. Yeah, it's called life. And it's painful. And it's challenging. And I know some of you have been through some really tough stuff. And I know some of you would not have wanted that separation. I, I know that. And I'm not going to drill down on all the complexity of your life. I'm just talking big picture here. We are to hold fast to our marriage. The last one in Genesis is oneness. And they'll become one flesh. Five things that this one flesh relationship entails. The first one is spiritual oneness, developing together as a follower of Jesus Christ. That involves praying together, having devotions together, worshiping together. You need to be worshiping together. By the way, if you're in here today and your spouse is worshiping somewhere, fix that. You need to be worshiping together as a family. You need to be worshiping with your spouse. You need to be taking communion with your spouse. Make sure you're doing things to grow spiritually together. Remember, if you don't have this up here going on with God, the we, then you're going to have trouble with the vertical we. Physical oneness is the second part. Spiritual oneness, physical oneness, and exclusive, fulfilling sexual commitment. In our marriage enrichment classes, which we're doing now, we have a whole class on sexuality. 
I won't go into that now, but we'll, we talk about that in other sermons. Uh, physical oneness, mental oneness, focusing your thoughts on your spouse. Emotional oneness, commitment to exclusive feelings for your spouse. That's why pornography is destructive to a marriage relationship. It compromises mental and emotional oneness. That's why reconnecting with old friends on Facebook or, or Instagram or Twitter or whatever is dangerous to a marriage relationship. So you have spiritual oneness, physical oneness, mental oneness, emotional oneness, and missional oneness going the same way at the same time for the same reasons. In all our premarital counseling, and I encourage you, and in our marriage enrichment classes, we have people write, we have couples write missional statements, mission statements for their marriage. Why did God put you together? Of all the people on planet Earth, why did God bring you together and cause you to do this mysterious thing we call falling in love? Why did that happen? Because God has something specific for you to do. God has something unique for you to do. Just like every person has a fingerprint, every marriage has a marriage print. Why did God put you on this earth? I can promise you it wasn't to kill time, retire, and move to Florida. I can promise you that. God has great things for you to do, and retirement from the Christian life or from doing what he's called to do is not a part of the plan. It's not in Scripture. So what did he, with the resources he gave you and the gifts he gives you and the talents he gave you and the time he gave you, he gives you, what are you to do with everything that God has given you? You need to be on the same page. And you say, well, yeah, I'd like it, but you see, I want to do this really cool thing in ministry and my wife, she doesn't want to do it yet. You know, I want to, I, I want to quit my job and I want to, I want to go overseas because that's, that's what God's telling me to do. And you know what? If he's not telling your wife, then that's not what he's telling you. Or he's telling you to wait until he tells her. Or he's telling you to pray about it until God changes her heart. Or he may just change your heart. Because you've got to be on the same page. You've got to be moving the same direction at the same time for the same reasons. And you can't spiritualize that like, oh, God's called me to this great thing, but my spouse isn't for it. No. Oneness means you're going to do it together. Spiritual, physical, emotional, mental, and missional. All right, with that as the background, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Every relationship passage in Scripture applies to the marriage relationship first, and there are some passages that specifically apply, that are specifically written for the marriage relationship. And so we're going to go through in the time we have before communion, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. I'm going to go over it fairly quickly. I can't drill down on a lot of these. Again, we have marriage classes every year. I encourage you to be a part of. There are weekend things going on in Pittsburgh. You can do all kinds of things to enrich and enhance your marriage. 
and that ball is in your court, and you need to be doing those things. The first thing that I want to go through this passage and see is what Paul writes to the husband. And guys, I'll talk to you first, and when you see what Paul's writing to the husband, just think servant leadership. Servant leadership. We see in chapter uh, 5, verse 21, as, as the beginning of all this, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this mutual submission, this mutual doing this, this mutual partnership frames this whole passage. Remember, the Bible wasn't originally written with these paragraphs and verses. This was just one letter. And so we see this mutual submission going on, this partnership going on. And then God speaks to the woman and he speaks to the man. Let's take the man first. Servant leadership. The first thing we see about servant leadership is that this is the man's job. It is a God-given role. It doesn't depend on your personality. It doesn't depend on if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It cannot be delegated. It cannot be ignored. Leadership in the family is not dictatorial. It is not heavy-handed. It is never in any way abusive. Servant leadership is composed of these five things. The first one is a sacrificial love. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that's a pretty tall calling, isn't it? Sacrificial love. Love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, man, here's the first question. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to sacrifice a career promotion for the betterment of your family? Are you willing to set aside a recreation you love for the betterment of your family? Are you willing to set down a hobby or a friendship for the betterment of the relationship with your wives? A lot of guys would be willing to give up their life for their wife. They're just not willing to give up golf or basketball or fantasy football. Are you willing to do the things you need to do in your relationship to demonstrate that this is not about you, it's about your servant leadership of your family? Secondly, a sanctifying love. Ephesians 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Our responsibility as husbands is a sanctifying love. Sanctifying means set apart, make holy. We cannot make our wives holy. Only Jesus can do that. So what does that mean? How would we apply that? I believe it means that we need to do the things that encourage and support our wives to grow spiritually. That would mean praying together. That would mean having spiritual conversations together. That would mean encouraging one another, reading Scripture with one another, 
doing devotions with one another, setting a personal example, and then doing the things that may be practical things around the house that need to be done so our wives would have that time to get off by themselves with the Lord. That's what I hear from young moms. Yeah, you say these devotions and stuff. When am I supposed to do that? Because <laughs> I'm up all night, and I'm up at 6 with the kids, and I'm getting them off to school, so exactly when am I supposed to have this time of devotion? So maybe husbands, you guys can talk to your wives, and you can say, when would you like to have that time? Because let me take over during that slot. I'll go in. I'll stay later at work so I can go in a, an hour later if that's possible. Maybe it's not possible. So, I can take, so you can have a time of devotions in the morning. Again, this is your relationship. Practical stuff. How's it going to work best in your relationship? Next, nourishing love. Look at 28 and 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. A nourishing love. We are commanded to care for our wives physically and emotionally and spiritually. A nourishing love, again, is that love that says, I might not take this promotion because it's going to put my wife and family in a very difficult emotional state to move yet again to another place. Now, I don't know how that works with you. I don't know your career. And I'm not saying that that's for you. I'm just saying that, husbands, you've always got to be looking out for your wife and your family first. That's what God called us to do. A satisfying love is the next one. A nourishing love, a satisfying love. Look at 31. Again, therefore man will leave his father and mother. Here, uh, Genesis 22, 24 is repeated. Leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So here is a satisfying love. We have, Tunch Ilkin and I have done these uh, podcasts called Biblical Manhood Podcasts. I encourage you uh, to listen to those. Uh, we talk very openly and, and straightforwardly regarding this satisfying love that a husband needs to give uh, to his wife, and I encourage you to be a part of that. But certainly, this means the sexual part of the relationship as well as the emotional and physical. Men, are you doing everything you need to do to make sure your wife is satisfied in your relationship? It's communication. Uh, romancing, the basic things that need to be done to make sure there's satisfaction in the relationship. Sacrificial love. Sanctifying love. Nourishing love. Satisfying love. That's what we see that a servant leader should provide for his wife. Now, if you're dating, you better be sure you find that person who can do that for you. It's got to be a Christian, right? If you're a believer, you marry a believer. That's clear. But as we always told our kids, not just any believer. Make sure, girls, that is a man you can respect. That's a man who's growing in Christ. And that's a man, you don't have to wait to see if he's going to be a servant leader after you get married. You're going to see that in the dating relationship. That's the guy 
you're looking for. And that's the guy that God has for you if you'll do it his way. The wife is to be a spiritual partner. A spiritual partner. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit uh, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's just talk through that. This word submit in our culture is laughed at. It is seen as an archaic term, and it is seen that something in our culture is just flat irrelevant. However, God's word always trumps culture, any culture. And so the question we have to ask is, what does submission mean? And the better question is, what does biblical submission mean? So I want to begin with what it doesn't mean before I get to what it does mean. Biblical submission does not mean that the wife is inferior to her husband in any way, shape, or form. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, Slave nor free, male or female, we are all equal in Christ. And so, biblical submission means, does not mean that there's an inferiority in any way. Biblical submission does not mean that a woman loses her identity or becomes a non-person in the marriage relationship. Again, the analogy here is with what? With Christ and the church. We're the church. We do not lose our identity in Christ. We, we find our identity in him. When we submit to this, the, the servant leadership of Jesus, he's the one who gives our gifts to us, and our identity is enhanced when we do it his way. Number three, biblical submission does not mean a woman is a passive participant in marriage and family. Again, the analogy is Christ and the church. Is the, is the church a passive participant in this thing? And not at all. We are, to, we are to be a part of it and share the message of Christ and use our gifts. We are in this with him. It's interesting that in Peter, 1 Peter, when he gives the same instruction, he uses Sarah in the Old Testament as an example. Now just go back and read Genesis 16 through 21, Sarah was no wallflower. Sarah was a strong, tough woman who spoke boldly into her marriage, into her family, and into relationships. And that's the example of biblical submission, not the submission that the culture would laugh at. Next one, and this is important. Biblical submission is never, I want to repeat this, never Demanded. The word to submit means to subject oneself. It is voluntary. 
It has the idea of putting oneself under another person, but not under compulsion. It's willingly. Biblical submission only applies in the marriage relationship. This is not instruction for all men and women in the church. When a servant leader leads his wife, biblical submission, biblical submission is not an issue. It's never under compulsion. It is always willingly. And if a husband would ever say, you have to submit to me based on Ephesians 5.22, you just lost the game. Because that is not at all what this passage is talking about. Servant leaders don't do that. Here's what biblical submission means. That in marriage and family issues, wives are to voluntarily submit themselves to the servant leadership of their husband. Voluntarily. Husband and wife, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, stand side by side at the foot of the cross. Side by side. And God has given the responsibility, the final responsibility to the husband for the final accounting of the relationship. That's what it means. When the husband and wife stand side by side at the foot of the cross, God's going to look at the husband and the husband's going to be held responsible for how he led his family. A husband and wife working together in partnership together. Remember 521? In mutual submission together. And as this role of husband and wife, the husband is the one held responsible. That is a tall, tall order. And men, that means we have to be in tuned with the living God in order to ever pull that off. See, husbands, God has called us to servant leadership. We must honor our wives' gifts and strengths and desires. Always honor them. We must demonstrate that our wife is more important to us than anyone else in the world. Our kids, our job, our recreation. Servant leaders never demand, force, coerce, or manipulate. Servant leaderships don't. Servant leaders don't do that. You are called to love and respect your wife. And wives, you're called to honor your husband as the one way, as one way in which you honor Christ. You're called to love and respect, to forgive just as Jesus forgave. You must love him even in the, even in the realms of his weaknesses, and there will be many. You must strive to enhance his gifts and strengths. And at the end of the day, as you interact and as you're in this partnership together, 
You have to willingly, voluntarily place yourself under your husband's leadership as the one who will finally be the spokesman to give the account to God about your marriage and your family. A Christian husband who is in the battle to lead his family and honor God desperately needs a wife that believes in him and tells him that. Respects him and demonstrates that. And sees what he can become by the grace of God and sets her hearts to love him and serve with him. And a Christian wife who's in the battle to nurture her family desperately needs a husband who is willing to sacrifice for her, who will demonstrate unconditional love, who will step up regardless of personality and be the servant leader that God has called him to. I can't tell you how many wives have come and said, I just wish my husband would step up and be the servant leader that God's called him to. A Christian wife who's in the battle needs a husband who has set his heart on loving her and serving with her. And as always, our example is who? Is Jesus. Jesus.